Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to the second ever episode of Discover North Korea, this new podcast by me, Zoe, from Zoe Discovers. And today it is just me talking to all of you out there for the next um, half hour or hour or so, however long um, I can't shut up for, apparently. (laughs) The theme of this episode today, I really hate actually, it's basically all going to be about me, my first time in North Korea, how on earth I started working in North Korea, how all of this happened, and what I'm doing here, why am I doing this, okay? I, Contrary to popular belief, I actually hate talking about myself, and the aim of this podcast, the aim of all the social media stuff that I do, is not to talk about myself, it's not about me, it's about North Korea, it's about the North Koreans. However, One of the biggest questions that you lot seem to have is, who am I and what am I doing? Um, There's lots of fun rumors out there about me um, being, um, you know, a a Russian spy because apparently my Liverpool accent is fake. Um, I don't actually have a Liverpool accent despite the fact that I am from Liverpool in the UK. So, you know, I can see where that rumor came from. Uh, A lot of you think that I work for the North Korea government or that I um, am paid to produce this kind of propaganda stuff. I kind of want to settle that record and give you a lot of background on me, what I do, and why I will continue doing it. But first, let me get all of the social media stuff out of the way. I am planning on basing all of these episodes around a theme or a topic or a question that you guys have sent in. So if you do have any questions, if you have any comments, anything that you'd like to say about the podcast or about any of my social media channels, then do contact me on zoediscovers at gmail.com. You can also message me on Instagram at zoediscoversnk. If you haven't visited any of my YouTube videos yet, then do give them a watch. Go over to YouTube. It's Zoe Discovers. And you can also find me on TikTok, where I hang out apparently with all of the um, Gen Zs and uh, produce short form videos on the DPRK. So with that out of the way, hopefully today I am going to answer all of your questions about me. Get it all out of the way so I never have to say them again. But if you do have more questions, then do let me know zoediscovers at gmail.com. Okay, let's get stuck in. So I'm going to try and keep it like a timeline because a lot happens, things get confusing along the way, some weird things happen, 
I end up being stuck on an island for like a year and a half. And then who knows how I ended up on another island now doing my PhD. <laughs> so firstly, we have to go back all the way to 2014. I think it's 2014, 2013, 2014, when I start my undergraduate degree at Newcastle University in the UK. This is important because I was studying modern languages, German and Japanese, and also linguistics. And as part of that, I spent a year abroad in Japan. And it was during my time in Japan that I first had the idea to visit the DPRK. So how did that happen? Well, let's fast forward a little bit now to 2016. I am in Japan and I am in a place called Kobe. Actually, I was studying at the foreign language university there, Kobe Gaikokugo Daigaku. Very, very nice, cute little university. And obviously, you know, I'm meeting a lot of Japanese people, surprisingly. I would make a lot of friends. And during this time, actually, they would always make the same comment. This was actually um, 2015, 2016. Um, I, I spent, you know, I went there in September 2015 and stayed pretty much until September 2016. So around 2015 time, a lot of people would be saying to me like, ah, oh, cool, you know, you're from the UK. Wow, that's amazing. We really want to visit. But it's not possible at the moment. And, you know, they'd say things like, oh, yeah, it's too dangerous. Um, you know, we, we can't visit right now. And the first time I heard this, I... I thought, wow, that's... Man, I've never heard anyone talk about the UK like like it's so dangerous, like it's too dangerous to visit. And to give you some context, this is basically because it was during the time where... During 2015, where there were some terrorist attacks, um, the UK was on high alert for terror, um, for terror attack. I, it was on the highest ever alert. I think it means, you know, terror attack is imminent. You know, it wasn't the safest time for sure to to visit the U the UK. However, I had I had just come from the UK. You know, I had only just got to Japan in September 2015, so I'd only just got there. I'd come from the UK, and you know, the only weird thing that I remember ever seeing in the UK around this time, actually, it did really freak me out, was um during a, a you know one of those continental markets where they sell like you know your cheeses and wines and stuff like that i remember in the city center there were police walking around with guns and for my us listeners that's or you know people in other countries um where your police have guns that's probably like a really normal thing but in the uk it is not normal for police to have guns and actually it's quite scary because for us if we see police with guns it means that there's danger around so anyway, this is the only time that I ever felt, um, you know, kind of uncomfortable with the situation in the UK. Otherwise, you know, you just go about your daily life like like usual, like nothing's happened. So it was very strange for me to hear all of my Japanese friends suddenly talking about my country like um, like it was a war zone, you know, like it was too dangerous to visit. And after this kept happening to me, I started to kind of wonder why everyone had such um, intense and, and scared feelings towards the towards the UK. And in the end, I kind of found out that it was from the media, like the narrative in the Japanese media at that time was that it's a scary place, you know, was that it's too dangerous. And, you know, that that was affecting the opinions of 
of the Japanese people that I was speaking to. But as with everything, you know, when, when things like this happen, when you're on the ground, it's always so different to what is being said in the media. But it was the first time that I had really, you know, encountered this firsthand. And so I decided, I went home that night, and, uh, you know, I remember, I really, really remember this so clearly. I remember where I was standing when this thought popped up into my head. And then I remember going home and I remember walking around my little tiny room in Japan that, you know, it was so hot back then. <laughs> I remember walking around, pacing up and down, Googling on my phone. Can you visit North Korea? Because at that time, I thought to myself, okay, you know, if... Japanese people can have such a strong feeling towards the UK that it's too dangerous to visit purely because of what the media is saying. Then I want to challenge my own prejudices of a country that I have never been to before, that I've never visited, but that, you know, I think is too dangerous to visit. And I want to go there and I want to see what it's like. I had no idea if you can actually visit North Korea. And turns out, you can, you can visit North Korea. So in Japan, you have um, a long kind of break in um, just before springtime, I guess, like around January, February, March kind of time, you have those, those couple of months off, you don't get time over Christmas, but that's the time when you get off. So I started to think about going for a little trip around East Asia. And basically planned it all around my trip to North Korea that would happen in March 2016. So as I was planning all of this, obviously um, I told my parents um, and a lot of people, a lot of you guys always ask like, what do your parents think about what you do? What do your parents think about you going to North Korea? And I can tell you that they think um, very differently. <laughs> so um, this is something that I remember very, very clearly as well. I remember standing outside um, the train station at Gakuen Toshi Station and um, in Japan and, um, and calling my mum and telling her, you know, hey, um, I, think, I think I'm going to go on a trip to North Korea. And her reaction was very, very strong. You know, she, you know, she was like crying on the phone to me like, no, you can't visit, you know, she's, she, I travel a lot, right, and she's always been very, very supportive, and she said that, you know, she was like, I'm supportive of you, um, wherever you go, but this one, I cannot let you go, like, you know, please don't go, she was, like, begging me not to go, and I kind of understood her reaction, but also, you know, I had been, like, googling tourism to North Korea, so it's not like I was just, like, going on a whim, like, oh, this is gonna be crazy, um, I had been looking up, like, is it safe? Can you go? Stuff like this. So, you know, I said to her, like, listen, like, I get where you're coming from, but, like, I've done my research on this. It's actually quite safe. Like, there are actual tours that go there. You know, it's it's not super crazy. If you just um, Google this for, like, you know, a couple of minutes, just, you know, hang up the phone, Google it, and then call me back, then we can have a conversation about it. And you know, she just said to me, like, oh, I I don't even dare to write those words into Google. And so unfortunately, like, at that point, you know, I, I couldn't listen to, to her, I couldn't listen to her advice not to go, because, you know, she wouldn't even try to educate herself on, um, 
on, you know, tourism to North Korea. My dad, on the other hand, I have no idea um, how he reacted first. Um, you know, he's pretty chill with this kind of stuff. So he was probably just like, oh, whatever. Um, at the moment, you know, he thinks it's pretty cool. Um, we did have a tour planned in April 2020, uh, sorry, May 2020, but unfortunately um, COVID happened. So um, yeah, that trip is um, still on hold. So anyway, um, I'm still in Japan. I'm planning my trip to North Korea. I, um, it's, you know, let's say it's like January, February 2016 at this point. Um, I'm finalizing things with the tour company that I am going to um, North Korea with. And now this tour company um, is not actually Korea Tours. So a lot of you guys, if you've been following me and my journey so far, a lot of you will know that I work for Korea Tours. Um, and I have done for most of my time working in North Korea. However, during this trip, I actually went with another company called Young Pioneer Tours, or YPT. They're gonna crop up later, okay? Um, they're kind of like a budget travel company, and to be honest, when you're visiting North Korea, budget is not really the way to go. Instead, you want to make sure that you are in good hands with the experts like Korea Tours. But anyway, at that time, I was a poor student and, well, made some wrong choices. Nevertheless, I booked myself onto a tour, got that all confirmed, and weirdly enough, I would not actually be going to Pyongyang um, for my first trip to North Korea. Obviously, that's usually the first place where everyone goes. It's the capital city, everyone knows Pyongyang. Um, I wanted to go somewhere different, um, and also these dates um, really fitted with, um, with my travel plans for a couple of months. So I would be going to a place called Rason. And actually, Rason is super interesting. You know, I did not know much about Rason before I went. And I, I kind of, you know, when I travel, I don't actually like to read up on the place too much before I go. I prefer to get there, get a feel for the environment, get a feel for, you know, my new surroundings, the culture, the language and stuff like that. And then once I'm there, that's when I like to look stuff up. So to be honest, it was the, kind of the same with Rasson. Obviously, I prepared myself as much as I needed to. You know, I don't go in things blind, especially somewhere like North Korea. You need to prepare but f beforehand. Um, but I didn't know much about Rasson. Rasson, and you know, if you guys have never heard of it, do not worry, because most people have never heard of Rasson. It's um, one of the least visited places in North Korea. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for a first trip just because um, I don't think that it gives as much as um, a normal Pyongyang trip might do. But it is very interesting for a second trip to North Korea or if you're doing like an epic, you know, couple of weeks in North Korea and you want to add on somewhere that's a bit different. It is a special economic zone in the very, very, very northeast of North Korea and it borders with, um, with the northeast China kind of city called Yanji. Yenji in itself, uh, that's a city in China, is actually really, really interesting um, because there are lots and lots of Korean Chinese that live there. Um, you know, there's lots of Chinese that go into North Korea. Everything is in Chinese and Korean. It's a super interesting place. Um, if you get an opportunity, you can go. So that's basically where your trip starts. Your trip starts in Yenji. And honestly, up until... I crossed through that border at Rason. Um, I didn't think that, you know, I would go into North Korea. Going to North Korea now is such a normal, usual thing for me. Um, and I speak about it a lot. But 
back at that time, you know, I was just like everyone. I had no idea that you could go to North Korea. And then, you know, I was so nervous about going. I didn't know what to bring. I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, I couldn't believe that it was really happening. Up until I crossed that border point in Razon, I really, you know, I didn't think that um, I would actually, I would actually be in North Korea. Um, and then suddenly I was, you know, actually Razon is a really cool place because it's one of the very few places where, or, you know, one of the only places maybe that they actually give you the passport stamp. This is something that some people either really want or really don't want in their passport. Um, and because usually when you get the North Korea visa, it's, um, a visa on a separate piece of paper. Um, and then they stamp you in and out of the country on this piece of paper, uh, this visa piece of paper. Rason, however, they just stamp your passport. So, um, I've been to Rason a couple of times after this now, so I've got, <laughs> I do have a few North Korean stamps in my passport. So I got that stamp, I went on through and was like, hey, I am in North Korea. And, you know, I had my first impressions about North Korea is the same thing that I think every single person goes through when they visit North Korea for the first time. And it took me a while to describe it, but what I generally say now is that visiting North Korea is pleasantly underwhelming, okay? That, and that is exactly how I felt when I first, you know, got out of that uh, border facility and then you just get into North Korea, you get into the town and you're like, oh, because everything that we hear about North Korea is crazy and exaggerated and it's in the media, which naturally is going to exaggerate everything we don't hear much else about North Korea, you know? We hear the missiles, the nuclear weapons, the politics, everything exaggerated, everything crazy, everything under this media narrative that, for me, you know, I mean, maybe I was more naive than the average person. For me, I, I had kind of forgotten that you know, normal people, normal North Korean people exist and they go about their daily lives. And for them, it's not all about missiles and, you know, the leadership and rockets and stuff like that. You know, they go about their daily lives. They're commuting to work. They're, you know, drinking at bars in the evening. It's underwhelming in a really nice way. And I think Another really big thing that really shocks a lot of people when they visit North Korea for the first time is actually before you get into North Korea, you come across North Koreans going back into North Korea. And that was really shocking for me. And I treated them like monkeys at a zoo, you know? When people come to North Korea now, one of the biggest questions they ask me is like, how do I speak to the North Koreans, Zoe? What do I say to them? What do I do? And my biggest bit of advice is to just treat them like normal people because they are. 
but I totally get where everyone's coming from. Where everyone's coming from is so, you know, they're, they're nervous to talk to them. They don't know how to talk to them. They don't know what they can talk to them about. Genuinely, if you treat them like normal people, that's absolutely fine, you know? There are obviously some topics um, that you shouldn't speak about with the North Koreans and we recommend staying away from politics and stuff like that just because it's, you know, it's sensitive stuff. But like when you talk to them, you can introduce yourself. Let them know about your family, talk about what you're doing at university, what's your job, ask them about their family, what they did at university, their job. You know, you just have like a normal conversation with them when you're meeting someone for the first time. And then obviously, you know, if you spend more time with them over the next few days, you're having a beer in the evening, then you can, you know, get onto some more like um, you know, intense topics, or, like, you can pry a bit further, ask them, you know, about the, you know, how their country works, the system, and you can start to ask them more in-depth questions, but, you know, for the first time, just, you know, they're just normal people, just like you and me, and I have to say, like I said, I was quite naive, because I had never thought about North Koreans before, really, let alone North Koreans, they can go abroad? Like, what? I had no idea about that. And I was really shocked to see North Koreans abroad. And then also, like, like I said, treating them like Winkies in a zoo. Like, I was, like, looking at them like, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Um, you know, I, can I talk to you? You kind of want to talk to them. You're looking at them. You can see their pins on and stuff like that. So I was really, really shocked. But actually, um... You know, there are North Koreans abroad. Um, there used to be a lot more. Actually, there are now sanctions on um, foreign workers. So there used to be a lot more North Koreans working abroad. If you Google it, you can find a whole load of North Korean restaurants that used to exist, like, all around the world. In Europe, in Asia, there were so many North Korean restaurants. But a lot of them have closed now. Most of them are closed. They used to have North Korean workers in them. Um... But due to sanctions, um, they're not allowed to have uh, workers abroad now, so most of them have returned home. And also, um, a lot of people come to North Korea, and they they tell like a lot of students, and they tell me that you know they've got a North Korean in their class. Maybe they're studying at like Beijing University, and they have North Koreans in their class, um, and that's how they came um, across the idea of North Korea tourism. So there are North Koreans abroad. Um, I don't want to get into that too much, but. Anyway, so, you know, all of my preconceptions on North Korea were being absolutely shattered within, like, the first five minutes. And um, another big one is that, like, it was safe, you know? Like, I felt safe. And I have been traveling to, like, some weird places in my life. Um, you know, I love travel. Um, I've been to some really intense places. Um, you know, I didn't feel like um, I needed to keep hold of my phone because um, someone was going to rob it or like, you know, if I went to the bar and went, you know, if I was in, if I was in a bar and I go up to order a drink, I can leave like my bag on the table or on a chair and not have to worry about like if it's going to get stolen when I get back, okay? Um, you are also prepped a lot before you go to North Korea, or, you know, you should be, your, your travel company should prepare you a lot before you go in, there are obviously a lot of rules that you need to follow, so as long as you follow those rules, it's generally quite safe, um, again, I'm not going to go into the rules too much, um, in this episode, but I'll probably cover it in another one, 
later on in this series. So those were, I guess, the three main preconceptions that I had that were just completely shattered. You know, it was safe, um, there were North Koreans there, and it was all just a little bit normal. Very, very unexpected. So then I had the next four most life-changing days of my life. And that was, you know, during my time in Razon, I saw so much and I experienced so much. And the thing that I loved the most about my tour there was how wrong I was about a lot of things um, and how much I learned. And again, you know, not getting into that stuff too much, but it was just constant. Everything I, you know, everything I thought I knew about the country it just kept getting shattered and there is, it's it's like a journey, you know, it's a, a learning journey. A trip to North Korea is not your average, um, you know, it's not your average holiday. It's it's certainly not a holiday, you know, in the, in the respect of like, okay, we're going to relax on the beach and read a book. And I think everyone who's been to North Korea can also agree with me on that. It's, it's not chill. It's, it's very action packed is, you know, you've got an action packed itinerary. Um, you do this, 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 and this, you, you're constantly on the move. But apart from constantly being on the move, you know, it's it's really mentally draining because you learn a lot, you know, um, and it's it's draining when when you think you know so much about somewhere and, and you go there and experience it and you find out that actually <laughs> you might be completely wrong. Um, or, you know, things are, things are very, very different. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite draining. Obviously, you know, there is a whole load of information about North Korea out there. Um, it's not that a lot of it is not unavailable. It's just, I hadn't done much research. My knowledge on North Korea, just like, and I think I can say pretty confidently, um, just like most people's, is purely based on what we hear from the media. And I was so happy to have that experience in North Korea teach me so much. It didn't just teach me about North Korea. It taught me about how to consume media, how to deal with media. And, you know, it it, it led me on a, on a whole crazy journey. I learned so much, you know. I didn't just learn about North Korea. But I also learned, I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about... Um, how to deal with media and the media and the effects that it can have on our minds. And I just, I just kind of got really inspired by that. And also I got inspired by going on a tour, to be honest, because when I travel and I travel a lot, I don't go on tours and I always look down on tours. And I know I have friends, I know I have like solo traveler friends, really independent traveler friends who really look down on tours a lot because of the lack of flexibility, because, you know, you want to travel by yourself, you want to do all of this, blah, blah, blah. But so it was the first time that I'd gone on a tour and I had a whole new respect for going on tours. You learn so much. Oh my gosh. You know, since then, I go on tours whenever I can pretty much afford to. Even if, you know, in countries where you don't need to go on tours, it's amazing. Going on tours, you learn so much about the history, you learn about the context, you know, um, they bring a lot of value, um, actually. So 
my final lesson that I learned um, was also that not just that I love tours, but, you know, I thought I could be a good tour guide. I, I remember looking at our um, at our tour guide from from YPT and genuinely, you know, he was doing a really good job. And um, and I remember thinking, OK, actually, I think I could do that. You know, I think I have the skills to um, to work in North Korea tourism. So let's fast forward. Okay, we spent a lot of a lot of time in Razan now. So let's fast forward. We are now in 2017. I've gone back to the UK. Um, I've gone back to Newcastle University where I am um, finishing my final year in modern languages and linguistics. Okay, so 2018 was my year of graduation. And around February 2018, I remember seeing an advert on Facebook for a um, for a tour guide position in YPT. And- Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And since I was going to graduate university, I was looking for a job. So I thought, why not? I applied and I got it. And so starts my journey working in North Korea tourism. Now, I have never spoken publicly about my time working in YPT. Most people know me as someone who has worked and works for Koryo Tours. My time in YPT was pretty intense. Um, and sometimes it was actually a really difficult part of my life. Um, it's not something I look back on fondly. Uh, I was working with them for about six months. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but if people are interested, then I might do an episode, um, especially when tourism opens to the DPRK again, on whether, you know, on the differences of, um, of YPT and Korea tours, or, you know, kind of helping people choose... Um, which one to go with in terms of DPRK tourism. Because if you don't know, um, Koryo Tours and YPT, they're kind of um, the two main uh, companies working in North Korea. Actually, you can't really compare them. You know, Koryo Tours has almost 30 years experience working in the DPRK. They also do tons of engagement. They make documentaries. They, um, you know, take people like Michael Palin into North Korea. They um, have, uh, they're a massive company that has a lot of experience working in the country, whereas um, YPT is a lot smaller and they've only been there for, you know, just over 10 years or something. Um, nevertheless, they are the two big companies uh, that take tours into North Korea. So a lot of people ask the question, YPT or Korea Tours? So I might 
cover that one day. But what I'll say for now, um, without getting into too much detail, is, you know, as someone, and actually as the only person that has worked for both Tours and YPT, um, I really recommend that you give, and this goes with, with any tour that you do, to be honest, I recommend that you give the cheap option a second thought. You know, when something seems cheap, too cheap to be true, then it usually means that costs are cut somewhere else. You know, and whether that be on the customer's safety or the employee's safety, the employee's well-being or, you know, indeed paying the employees, costs are cut somewhere if something is too cheap. Okay? Um, so... Anyway, I did about six months in that, um, you know, very toxic environment at YPT before I then started doing freelance at Choreo Tours. Um, and then I was also doing some freelance marketing um, and writing to keep me going. This was about, um, I would say, so at this time it was about summer 2018 and I realized I've kind of messed up the days before so I graduated in 2017 from Newcastle so it was um 2017 was my graduation um started working for YPT in 2017 and then yeah summer now 2018 um so I'm going in and out of North Korea frequently with choreo tours um I'm doing lots of freelance stuff, um, a random brief stint of going social media famous in China with like literally millions of followers in just three months. It was so weird. Um, <laughs> stopped doing that and then went working um, at Choreo Tours full time then in 2019 um, where I work currently um, still as the promotions manager. Um, obviously, North Korea tourism has taken a massive hit um, because it's been closed since, uh, since January 2020, but nevertheless, you know, I'm still, uh, keeping stuff up with them. So that is basically how I got working in North Korea. I hope it kind of made sense. Um, looking back through that timeline, it's been, um, it's been a long and random over five years of my life now, you know, from my first trip to North Korea to then deciding to work in the North Korea tourism industry, um, changing companies, um, and then finally getting settled into to a job that I really love. Um, and then, unfortunately, the borders being closed again, um, just at the time when I <laughs> decide to start, you know, making social media content, um, you know, making vlogs and stuff like that inside North Korea, it, it kind of all closes. But nevertheless, I, um, I want to continue doing this job. And, you know, I'm just going to talk for a few minutes now on why I work in North Korea and why I do all of this as social media stuff. And just before we get into why I work in North Korea, I just want to bring you up to date on um, what has been happening um, since January 2020, uh, just to give you a little bit of context. Um, and if you're interested, if not, skip over the next couple of minutes. But basically, um, January 2020, North Korea closed to tourism. Um, I happened to be out of China at this time. And... Some of you may have heard this story somewhere else because it got picked up um, by a little bit of media. But basically what happened was is I had a holiday planned to go to Fiji in March. Um, North Korea tourism had closed. So, it, you know, it was a good idea to basically move my holiday forwards. 
please remember that during this time, during January 2020, COVID was not a global pandemic. Um, it was a small thing that was going on in China and then, you know, obviously very quickly escalated. But the decisions that I made at that time were based on the fact that it was a virus inside of China. And I was currently outside of China. So I thought, hey, I don't need to return back to China right now. I will just move my holiday forwards. Um, and so I went to Fiji, packed my bags um, of winter clothes that I had with me when I was in South Korea doing a language course. That's why I was not in China. Um, packed my uh, woolly scarves and jumpers in the minus 10 degrees in South Korea and headed over to Fiji um, with a few friends. <laughs> This is where the story gets a bit weird. Um, so basically, um, I mean, you guys know what happened over the next month. Uh, COVID like really took a hold of um, the whole world, apart from the South Pacific. So the South Pacific is very, very isolated. It's a bunch of small island nations that are very, very far apart from each other. So it managed to stay clear of COVID up until the, you know, almost mid-March, um, actually almost the end of March. And some of the South um, South Pacific countries were some of the absolute last on the list to get COVID. Um, what happened was, is that uh, I basically spent a month traveling throughout the South Pacific. Um, I was very, very lucky to be able to do so. Um, it was crazy. Travel in the South Pacific was still normal. It was still fine, but I was watching the world collapse around me. It was a very, very intense time of my life. And... You know, I, I spent the first few weeks waiting for it all to blow over and uh, <laughs> it obviously didn't. Things were getting a bit crazy. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to go back to China. You know, I need to <laughs> I need to go back. It looks like the whole world is being affected now. So booked my flights back to China and uh, that was on the Thursday and my flight was going to be on the Wednesday. So I thought, hey, I have a weekend. I need to get away from it all because honestly, it was affecting me mentally. It was affecting me very, very badly. Uh, I was in um, like uh, a city in Fiji and there were lots of foreigners. It was it was all very stressful. They were all talking about COVID. Honestly, my um, I just couldn't handle it. I needed to be away. And so um, I don't know if you've ever traveled in the South Pacific, but basically... Um, Travel within these countries is like expensive, you know, basically it was the same cost for me to go to a different country than it would have been to go to a remote island in Fiji. So obviously me, the traveler, is like, you know what, I'm just going to go to a different country for a weekend, travel, um, chill out, not speak to anyone, pick a really small random country that there's going to be no foreigners in so I can chill out and not talk about COVID. It was, you know, uh, I, I, was, I was dealing with a lot of COVID anxiety at that time. So I I turned my phone off. I literally said to my friend, you know, I, I'm turning my phone off. This is the contact for my hostel um, that I will be in at, at the weekend just in case, you know, there's some kind of emergency. But I am switching off social media. I am turning everything off. Well, that did not go so well because I landed in the country that I picked. I picked Tonga. I landed there and the taxi driver said to me, do you come from Fiji? Fiji? And I said, yeah, I just came from Fiji. And he said, Fiji has two COVID cases. And I said, no, it doesn't. That's not true. That's not what happened. Fiji has no COVID. The South Pacific has no COVID. And he said, no, it's true. And I said, don't be silly taxi driver. And you know what was so funny? Because I did not want to look at my phone. 
I always buy a SIM card at the airport because if there's one thing that you need when you're traveling, it's your phone and it's internet, right? I always buy a SIM card at the internet, but I thought, you know what? I don't need to buy a SIM card here because I'm only here for a weekend and I don't want to be on the internet. So I didn't buy any internet. This driver was telling me that there's COVID. I had no idea what that would mean now. And I couldn't Google it. The drive was like half an hour. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my COVID anxiety really reached a peak. Anyway, um, very long story short, I then end up being stuck in Tonga after it goes into lockdown for about two um, for about two or three weeks it goes into lockdown all the flights are cancelled I tried to leave the next day could not I went to the airport again the following day and still could not leave I was stuck a lot of things happened fast forward a year and a half and um, yeah then I finally leave Tonga to go back to the UK during that time that's when I did my my master's in international communications that I mentioned earlier I then went back to London where I did um, another master's in international security and global governance, more politics-y kind of stuff. Um, and then that leads me to now where I am sitting in my dorm room in Tainan in the south of Taiwan where I am studying at NCKU National Chenggong University to do my PhD in political economy, which you know, is a sentence that I never thought that I would be saying. But hey, that's uh, that's where I am here and now. And I am doing that alongside all of this social media stuff and still planning to go back and working in North Korea. So why? So if you don't follow um, any of my other social media and stuff like that, absolutely fine. No hard feelings. Um, but you might be a little bit confused as to, you know, why why does the, this girl from Liverpool... Um, want to work in North Korea, um, want to promote tourism in North Korea and also, you know, why, why do I um, post all of these videos and photos of North Korea? So basically I have three aims with this, you know. My three aims are, firstly, I want to expand the media narrative, okay. I very strongly feel that the media has a big bias when it talks about North Korea um, and it has its own narrative. I was so inspired about, about this um, issue that I then went on to do my master's, my MA in international communications. And I based basically my whole study around um, North Korea in the media and, you know, also some propaganda studies. Um, and I did my thesis on... Um, you know, media representations of North Korea in in the British media. And I came to the conclusion that, you know, that there is a strong narrative that, you know, the media do have around North Korea. Um, and, you know, during my time doing um, this degree, I really got into um, learning about, you know, the power that the media can have over um, not just how we think about something, but also what we think about. And I think those two aspects really um, spoke to me because not only does the media have a certain narrative about North Korea, you know, it tells us 
how to think about North Korea um, in a certain way. If So, for example, you know, um, it can present a topic and then describe it in a certain way. So that's how it describes how to think about things. But then also it, you know, it can set the agenda on what we think about. So that's like a really base level of like, as long as the media does not cover it, then there is a lot less opportunity that we'll have to find out about something. And in this way, I find that so true with like how I first, you know, with my first impressions about North Korea, I didn't do any research apart from what I knew in the media. And so my only impressions, the only way I knew about North Korea was what was covered in the media. And that was all that I knew about. And then I'd also been primed on how to think about when it comes to these issues. So anyway, I got really interested in this whole like media narrative of North Korea. And so that's the first reason why I make all of this social media stuff um, and try and speak a lot about North Korea. Because it's not that everything that is in the media is wrong, you know? I'm not, I'm not super paranoid that, you know, we're being mind-controlled and stuff like that by the media. Um, I just think that we need to be less passive receivers of media and more active receivers you know you need to question things you need to think about stuff uh, look at various sources and stuff like that so it's not that the media is lying completely you know but it's not the whole picture it's you know I want to create a bigger narrative of North Korea I want to expand it I want to show people that okay you know North Korea has a beautiful coast it has mountains um you know, there are people there, you can buy seafood, you can buy street food, you know, they, they love playing volleyball, they're very, very talented in volleyball, obviously table tennis as well, amazing skills. Um, there is so many aspects to North Korea that are just overlooked, completely not seen in the media at all. And I really want to change that and expand that because I really want to rehumanize the North Korea issue. You know, it's so easy to talk about North Korea like, uh, you know, the country. You know, everyone talks about how it's crazy, missiles, uh, human rights abuses, stuff like that. But no one talks about the people in North Korea. And I think that that is a really, really big issue on a, on a very basic level. You know, that's a big issue. Of course, we need to we need to remember that there are North Korean people that live there and their lives are not this one big meme that the internet would have. You know, their lives are not this one big joke that we all make fun of. There are real people that live there and they are going about their daily lives as we speak. Rehumanizing the North Korean issue is important on our level, on a basic level, but it's also important on a political level as well. Okay, and you know, I don't speak about politics on my channels. And there's a reason for that. And I want everyone to know. It's very important that everyone knows that I self-censor, okay? I don't say stuff on here because I am careful. There are two reasons why I don't say, say, say politics stuff on here. Reason number one is because I am not about politics. I am the pure reason for me doing all of this stuff is because I don't want to talk about politics. I want to expand that narrative. This is not where you'll find North Korea politics talk, okay? There is enough of that elsewhere. But the second reason is 
and everyone needs to know, and I, I make it very clear, that I self-censor. I have every intention of going back into North Korea. I love my job working in North Korea, and I want to keep that up. And so I don't talk about sensitive topics on here. And so I only show one side of North Korea on my channels. And that is not because I am trying to promote North Korea. I am showing North Korean propaganda. It's not because I am promoting the country. That is because I'm trying to show the side, a different side, the side that I see that is not featured in the media otherwise. If you want anything else, any other side of North Korea, you can go see it on different media. That is not what I am about. So, of course, it seems like, um, you know, I'm this, like, propaganda account. Um, many people think that I'm, like, employed by the North Korean government and stuff like that. Um, just making all of these uh, promotional videos for North Korea. I am showing what I see in North Korea, and that's it. And I think many people think it's very unbelievable. And that it's very fake because we are not used to seeing those things in North Korea. You're not used to, you know, even just the normal mundane stuff of North Koreans drinking in a bar. Or, um, you know, if I accidentally crash a karaoke party in the park, it's suddenly all for show. It's all fake. Even though, you know, I, I had to leave my group to go and secretly, you know, join in with them. And, then, you know, I filmed it but is very unbelievable for a lot of people. And so, you know, I want to expand that narrative, rehumanize the North Korea issue, and then also promote tourism. That is, those are my three aims. And I want to promote tourism because I truly believe in the positive impact that North Korea tourism has, both inside the country and outside the country. And Therefore, that is, you know, my main aim with this is to promote North Korea tourism and make it more accessible to everyone. Most people, just like me, did not even know that you can go to North Korea. Uh, I think that's such a big shame because everyone has an opinion on North Korea, you know? Everyone has heard of North Korea. Everyone has a big, massive opinion on it. But very, very few people have ever done their own research on it, and even fewer still have actually been and visited the country. So I want to make it more accessible, more known, that you can visit North Korea, and I, I want to show people why you should. And I really believe in its, in its positive impact. And of course, tourism, you know, when you're talking about the North Korea tourism industry, you're not just talking about you know, visiting the sites, visiting the monuments, visiting um, art galleries and stuff like that. Choreo tours, the, the leaders in North Korea tourism, they do so much more than just lead tours, you know. They have so many engagement projects. Um, they work with, you know, charity work in North Korea. Um, they do so much good stuff. I can't even start to list it. Have a look at their website um, for all of the cultural engagements, um, sports, everything that they do in North Korea. And then they also produce documentaries and, um, you know, films and stuff like that in North Korea, uh, mobilizing North Korean artists um, and, and getting that creative side out. Um, and most importantly, like, interacting with the North Koreans, you know? 
Instead of isolating this country even further, engaging with the North Koreans on a normal human level, you know, it it does wonders. And not on the next episode, but in the next few episodes, I will do an episode which will probably be my hardest episode. Um, it's a topic that I find very difficult to talk about, but I have made a video on YouTube already. Um, and I will be talking about the ethics of traveling to North Korea because it is a tricky topic. Um, I will be covering that in um, in the next couple of episodes. But um, for now, I think I'm going to leave stuff here. I hope it answers your question on, um, you know, my story, how I started to get working in the DPRK, working in the DPRK, and then, you know, why I continue doing it. Just to clear things up. Um, I'm not a spy. <laughs> I wish I was. It'd be so much cooler. Um, you know, it's always so disappointing when people ask me, like, are you, you know, are you a spy? I'm like, yeah, I would be so much cooler if I was a spy. <laughs> um, I am from Liverpool. Um, I come from a very normal family in, in the UK. I'm not um, a Russian spy or something like this. Um, I don't work for the North Korean government. I have never worked for the North Korean government in any single capacity, okay? My ties lie only solely with Koryo Tours. They are a company that is based in Beijing, in China. You know, um, in a few episodes time, um, we're going to have a really exciting episode where we speak to um, a few members of staff from Koryo Tours and um, they're very famous, very big names in the North Korea tourism industry and North Korea expert um, realm. So we will speak to them then um, and you can find out more about Koryo Tours themselves. And for all of the questions uh, in terms of like who pays me on social media and stuff like that, again, as a Brit, I find it quite awkward talking about pay. Um, but just to let you know, I currently am completely not paid by anybody. Um, obviously, um, I am still working, um, you know, for Koryo Tours. But unfortunately, the North Korea tourism industry has been hit very hard since COVID. Um, you know, we haven't been able to conduct any tours within three years. I make... Uh, a little bit of monetization on YouTube. Uh, so I get paid a little bit on YouTube, but I don't make um, any money from like doing my own personal ads and stuff because believe it or not, um, <laughs> not many brands are going to want themselves associated with a channel that makes uh, videos on North Korea. So um, I actually make very, very little money from what I do from all this social media stuff. It's basically enough to cover the costs of like me um you know me spending my time doing this and then also getting some like super basic equipment on tiktok i can't mon monetize either and also i monetize none of my instagram stuff um the main place where i get um all of the money that kind of helps me keep going and even so that's still about a hundred dollars a month um, is from my Patreon account. Um, so I do have a Patreon online and that's basically, you know, I've got a bunch of people there that um, I am so grateful for. You know, they have supported me. I think I set up my Patreon about a year ago now and these guys have supported me um, throughout my whole time. I still haven't been able to get back into North Korea. You know, I wanted to set up a Patreon 
um, when I could go back into North Korea because I can offer so much, you know, I can offer like sending you a postcard from North Korea, like getting you a propaganda poster, stuff like that. I can't offer any of that right now. All I can offer is like um, up to date content and like behind the si- behind the scenes kind of stuff. So I'm so grateful for the people that support me on um, Patreon not just for the money. Actually, the money is a very, very, very small aspect of it. Obviously, um, it helps, like, the money helps things keep going, but, like, for me, it's just a support, like, knowing that um, there are people out there that actually want to hear all of this and want to see all of this, um, you know, all of the, the stuff that I put out, so it's really encouraging. So, you know, if you do um, find yourself with, like, um, some spare time and a bit of spare cash, then, you know, slip over to Patreon and consider signing up, you know, if you don't, then that's absolutely fine, but you still want to, want to let me know, um, want to encourage me, keep me doing what I do, then just, you know, hit me up on Instagram, send me a message, um, I get a lot of abuse on social media, as you can imagine, and as some of you see, um, So it just so happens that um, most of the feedback that I get, uh, like 99% of the feedback that I get on on social media is um, how awful a person I am for promoting North Korea tourism. Uh, so if you do get a second, then uh, do feel free to, um, to give me some feedback if you like what I do. And finally, this is going to conclude the episode now. So I have been talking for a very long time now. Um, thank you if you made it this far. Um, if you still have questions that I didn't answer in this episode, um, it went quite into detail, but yeah, if you want me to expand on anything, then let me know. Give me an email, zoediscovers at gmail.com. Send me a message on Instagram. Um, if you don't follow my social medias and want to, then feel free to follow me. I'm over on Twitter, not that I use it at all, Zoe Discovers. Um, and then YouTube, which I do actually use. I try and post a video once a week. I'm also over at Instagram and TikTok as well. You can find me there at, at Zoe Discovers NK. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. The next few episodes will not be about me, I absolutely promise. Um, <laughs> so I will look forward to a much more interesting conversation um, and topic with you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining and I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.